0: Amen. Amen. Good to see all of you this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. So, today's message is about the local church. And I think if you know me at all, you know how passionate I am about the local church In fact, one of the things that I hope that we as a church, the Oasis, can always be doing in our community, if you will, is to, in a sense, even within other Christians' mindsets, reverse how Christians look at the local church. For instance, I believe the Bible clearly teaches that the local church and our relationship with it as Christians isn't to be simply some casual add-on. That being part, I mean truly an active participant in a local church is vital, absolutely vital to our Christian life. Fact. I want you to think about what I'm about to say and chew on it and ponder it. I believe that no Christian will ever understand and realize their purpose on earth apart from being an active participant in a local church. Let me repeat that, because that's really important. I think that's why a lot of Christians struggle with finding their purpose, because the local church isn't vital to them. They either aren't regularly attending any local church at all, because they think it's optional, or the local church that they're attending, they're not really being faithful And they're being more of a spectator who sits out on the fringe rather than somebody who is actively participating. And I believe the Bible clearly teaches that no Christian, no Christian, can truly understand, nor can they realize their purpose on earth apart from them being an active participant in a local church. So with that, Here's where Peter's going in chapter 2. Last week we talked about valuing the things that God values. And one of those things is relationships. Because they're one of the things that we come in contact with on earth that's going to last throughout eternity. So now beginning in chapter 2, Peter's going to pick up on that that he talked a little bit about. And he's going to develop it by sharing with us marks of a godly fellowship marks or characteristics of a godly fellowship of believers or even using the language that Peter uses here what does a spiritual house of God look like because in chapter 2 verse 5 Peter tells us that God is building all of us into a spiritual house what's a spiritual house What does a godly fellowship of believers look like? Now, before we dive into these four things today, first of all, I want to say this. Not to pat ourselves on the back in in, in a way that's like satisfaction, but but in a sense to commend all of you who are becoming part of the Oasis, that I do believe that those of you that, you know, you come here, that this is who you already are. And I'm just encouraging you today by the words of Peter to just keep, keep being who you're being. Keep going after the things that you're going after because I think overall, again, not all, but generally speaking, as a church... This is, I think, what we are striving to be, is this spiritual house that Peter describes in chapter 2. And he gives us sort of four different characteristics of this godly house, or this godly fellowship, or this spiritual house that God is building. And the first thing he talks to us about in chapter 2, verse 1, is that a godly fellowship is one where everyone in that fellowship is striving to be safe. As far as relationships go. What's it mean to be a safe person when it comes to interpersonal relationships? Well, Peter shares with us five things. Notice he says in chapter 1 or chapter 2 verse 1. So get rid of all evil and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. These are talking about our attitudes and our actions towards each other. And Peter uses the term, get rid of. It is a term that means once and for all. Once and for all. Distance yourself as far as you can from these attitudes and behaviors. Because these destroy fellowship. These destroy unity. These create in a fellowship... When these are practiced, rather than godly attitudes and behaviors practiced, these destroy relationships. And God is all about bringing people together and building relationships. So he is saying to us, first of all, once and for all, get rid of, first of all, evil. The word really means having it in for somebody. He says, get rid of having it in for somebody. Don't let somebody get under your skin to the point where you are constantly thinking about either retaliation or thinking, wishing them evil or something like that. Stop having it in for other people, especially in a godly fellowship. That, that attitude should never be a part of our fellowship with each other. And then he says deceit. This is where we would be deliberately dishonest with each other in order to to gain an advantage for ourselves. Deliberately dishonest with someone so that we can somehow gain an advantage. Paul says that should never be part of a godly fellowship. That's not the kind of spiritual house That God wants to build. That's not creating the kind of relationships with each other. That's using each other. That's taking advantage of each other. That's always taking and never giving. And Paul said, that should never be true of a spiritual house that God is building. So get rid of all evil. Get rid of all deceit. And then he says hypocrisy. This is a word that speaks about an actor playing a part. Or someone who's just pretending or putting on a mask with others. Peter again says, this should never be part of a godly fellowship. Where we just sort of put on. Where if people knew us outside of our fellowship, and they saw how we reacted and acted at work or at school or in our homes... That we would be a totally different person than we are when we come together as God's people. And He's saying there needs to be a transparency and we need to have a consistency in our lives. That we are the same at home as we are in our spiritual household. That we are the same at work, at school, wherever we are in our community, as we are with our fellow Christians. That we don't just put on masks and sort of just, you know, try to become part of whatever group we're a part of at the moment. Knowing what to say and how to say it and using all the Christianese and all of that. With no reality. Paul says that's got to stop. There needs to be transparency and reality in our relationships with each other. There's got to be truth. There's got to be trustworthiness. That when people see us and get around us and get to know us, this is who we really are. We're not one thing one day and another thing another day. We're not one thing in church and another person somewhere else. Those kind of people destroy interpersonal relationships and friendships. And then after hypocrisy, he says, envy. I like to translate or or define this word as resentfully discontent. discontent. In other words, first of all, a person who's envious of others is a person who's not content. They don't believe that they've gotten their fair share and that somehow... uh, others are you know getting more and that they're sort of getting ripped off and so first of all it starts with an attitude of discontent then as they begin to look out at others and what they have and hearing what they have and what they experience they begin to get resentful about what they have in fact it gets to the point where In a sense, the difference between jealousy and envy is... Jealousy is wishing I had what someone else had. Envy is wishing they didn't have it. And Peter's saying, do you realize that when we become envious of each other... That's going to destroy fellowship. That instead of being happy for each other... When we begin to get envious and jealous of each other... That destroys relationships. So again, Peter here is starting out chapter 2 by giving us the characteristics of a godly fellowship, a spiritual house. And he starts with, continue to be a relationally safe environment that people can come to. And the last one is slander. Pretty obvious. Stop using harmful and hurtful words towards each other. Stop being verbally abusive and tearing other people down with our words. Build them up. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, Paul says, but only that which is good to edify one another. To build one another up. Not to tear down. That's why in a godly fellowship, there should be no slander. There should be no gossip. There shouldn't even be a critical spirit that sits and nitpicks about others and what they're doing and how they're doing it. Because all these attitudes and behaviors, folks because I've seen I've been in church ministry for 29 years and I've been a part of a local church since I was born because that's where my parents took me right after I was born you have two different sort of extremes you and I can begin to adopt these kind of attitudes and behaviors towards each other and that will spread And eventually the fellowship will disintegrate and fall apart. Or just the opposite can happen. When a church begins to treat each other and we as individuals within our spiritual house begin to treat each other with love and respect and we have good words for each other and we encourage each other and when we do have a problem maybe with somebody, we handle it in a biblical way rather than go around and talking to everyone else about it but the person we should then that begins to grow as well. And people begin to see a difference in the way we treat each other than the way maybe other local churches treat each other or even people in the world treat each other. And isn't this what Jesus talked about by bringing his church together when he said, by this kind of love, the kind of love that I have to you, when you begin to show that kind of love towards each other, he said, that's when people will really know that you are my disciples. Now, as I said, can we improve on this? Absolutely. There's not a one of us that can't do a better job at being relationally safe. But I also am very observant. And I do watch the way you treat each other. And again, generally speaking, what I see is good and just needs to continue. You treat each other for the most part with with kindness, with respect, with love, with patience, forgiving each other when we need to forgive each other. And that's the kind of spiritual house that God wants to build. It starts with relationships. That's why relationships are so important. Because it is a way for us like no other way to sort of flesh out in a very real and tangible way who Christ is in our lives. You know, we can tell other people, I'm a Christian and I love God. But God says, well, if you really love me, then you'll love each other, right? And you'll actively show each other that love by the way you treat each other in your relationships with each other. That's first. Second. The second characteristic of a godly fellowship is when you see people who have a growing appetite for the word of God. This is what Peter says. Notice, he says, instead of this kind of behavior, he says, as newborn babies, yearn like these infants for pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up to salvation. Yearn. He says, it's a word that means to have an intense craving for a great desire for a strong affection for the word of God. And what a great illustration Peter uses of a newborn baby, because everyone sort of has been around babies. It's like they don't you don't want them to be hungry. You know, the, the, the one thing. You know, obviously, they need you to get their rest, but man, when they're hungry, you better get them some food. Because that, that's just so such an intense thing with them. And Peter's going, why can't we see that kind of attitude towards God's word with God's people? Because that's the kind of fellowship that he's trying to create. A fellowship that truly values the Word of God. And not just values it, but literally just yearns for it and desires it and can't get enough of it. And Peter gives us why it's so important that we develop an appetite for the Word of God. He says, because we will never grow, first of all, apart from the Word of God. Please, Please hear what the Spirit's saying today, folks. So many Christians today think that somehow they can spiritually grow apart from the Word of God. There is nowhere in the Bible where it teaches that any believer can grow at all apart from the Word of God. It can't happen. So if a Christian is somehow saying that they're growing... But their relationship with the word of God isn't a vital relationship in their life. They're just deceiving themselves. There's no growth going to take place. And then he goes on to say that we might grow up to salvation. This doesn't mean earn our salvation. It means to experience the fullness of our salvation. We're already saved. But there's so much that God has placed inside of us when He gave us His divine nature through the indwelling Holy Spirit that we will never experience if we don't grow and mature and increase and become greater. And the only way to do that is through developing an appetite for the Word of God. And again, I, I commend you. Because unlike a lot of local churches today where the Word of God is marginalized... And pushed to the, to the edge where it's not that important. Obviously, one of the reasons you all come to a church like this is because you know you're going to get the Word of God. The pure, meaning undiluted, unadulterated Word of God. You're not going to get the Word of God plus all these philosophical and psychological things. You're going to get the Word of God. And that's important today. So thank you. But I'm convinced that more Christians need to get to that place in their life. Because they're satisfied to live on a junk food spiritual diet rather than truly being spiritually nourished. In fact, they don't even know they're starving. And it's sort of like even physically. If you and I get used to eating junk food, then the food that's really good for us doesn't really have the appeal. We don't have the appetite for it. But if you and I begin to eat well, then we start to lose our appetite for the junk. And so Peter's saying, here's why it's so important that a Christian learn to develop an appetite for the word of God. It's because then we won't be so enamored with the junk food out there. The thing that we will really desire is sort of the meat and potatoes of God's Word. And he's not using here milk in the sense of of spiritually basic principles like he does in other places. He's simply equating milk here with spiritual nourishment. And you all can appreciate this because we live in Arizona. I fear that many Christians because they lack an appetite for the Word of God, have become spiritually dehydrated. See, when God calls us to be His children, He wants us to be plums, not prunes. He wants us to be plump. There are so many Christians that are dried up because they are spiritually dehydrated. They're not taking in enough spiritual nourishment, if you will, to keep themselves hydrated, which is why then when they get out there in life and they try to serve the Lord and minister, they just get dried up real quick and have to throw in the towel or give up or get frustrated or, or even their attitude begins to change and they get irritable and all that. Same kind of principle when we're not physically hydrated, we start to feel bad. And we have to stop what we're doing and get hydrated or else we can't go on. Same thing is true in the spiritual realm. That's why Peter says, yearn like newborn infants for the pure spiritual milk of the word. So a growing fellowship is going to be one, or a godly fellowship is going to be one that is growing to be more and more relationally safe with each other. It's also going to be a fellowship where There's a growing appetite for the Word of God. Third, notice verse 4. So as you come to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but chosen and priceless in God's sight, You yourselves, as living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First of all, Peter calls Jesus a living stone, which we understand is sort of an oxymoron. Stones don't have life. So what's Peter trying to say by using this picture of a living stone? He's telling us that Jesus possesses life and strength. That's one of the things. But the other thing by using this word for stone is this word is a word that talks about building stones. Stones that you can build something with. And so he's reminding us here that as the living stone. Jesus is in the process of building because he's a living stone and he wants to build something. Peter says he wants to build a spiritual house or in this case, spiritual houses, local churches that truly reflect who he is all over the world. And then he calls us living stones. Because he says, because you have a relationship with Jesus, you as a Christian possess his life and his strength within you. And God then wants to use you as a living stone to be part of this spiritual house or this building that he is building. So the third characteristic of a godly fellowship is where there will be a growing number of people within local churches, spiritual houses that he is building. Because he said, I will build my what? Oh, let's do that again. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know that that's the only reference that Jesus ever uses to building anything? Again, I go back to what I said at the beginning. That's why a Christian can never fully appreciate, understand, or recognize what their purpose is in this life apart from the local church. And the third characteristic is that there's going to be a growing number of people within each local church who are willing to let Jesus cement them into that house and put them in place and set them in place in that spiritual house. That's why he goes on to describe Christians in any spiritual house as holy priests. He's talking to us about those who are actively participating in worshipful service. Offering spiritual sacrifices. This is what's going to make it a spiritual house. Rather than just a gathering of people for entertainment or a social club or something else. What makes a church of the Lord Jesus Christ different from other organizations or whatever? It's spiritual in nature. It's led and directed by the Spirit. It's empowered by the Spirit. It's enabled by the Spirit. It's all about the leading of the Spirit. And yet, there are many Christians, even if they attend a local church, they never really become active participants, priests. They're spectators who sit on the fringe, come every once in a while, but never allow Jesus, the one who's building his church, to take them as a living stone and literally put them into a spiritual house and connect them closely with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Many Christians never allow themselves to to be that connected to other believers. It's always, I'm keeping everybody at arm's length. Again, I want to commend you all. Unlike a lot of churches, more and more of you are realizing, I've got to get connected. I've got to build relationships. This is how I even discover who I am in Christ. I can't stay on the fringe. I've got to participate. There's no such thing in the Bible as people who are part of His church, the Lord Jesus Christ church, who aren't participants. That's foreign to God to say, you're going to be part of my church that I'm building and you're just going to be a spectator. You're never going to get involved with other believers in doing ministry and serving side by side and getting involved with each other and doing Bible studies together and praying with each other and, 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 and rubbing up against each other Then that living stone that you are. You're depriving the other living stones that you're around from what God could do through you for them. That's why I tell people, when, when I, I come across a Christian who says, you know, I don't need to be part of a local church. One of the first things I'll say is, you may not feel like you need to be part of a local church. But you're being awful selfish because you're depriving other Christians of the spiritual gifts and talents and abilities and things that God has given you to bless others. You're looking at it totally from your perspective, which is part of the mountain that we have to climb today, even as God's people. Because we live in such a self-absorbed, narcissistic, consumeristic society, and those attitudes have also crept into how people look at the church We're fighting an uphill battle because most Christians today, I won't say all, but most Christians today, when they go shopping for a local church to be a part of, they always usually approach it from a selfish point of view. I'm going to find a church that does this for me and can do that for me. And it's always, how's it affect them? It's never letting God place them into the body that He wants because maybe it's not always about us. Maybe it's about others. Are we letting God take us as a living stone that possesses His life and strength and vitality? And are we letting him set us in place in a spiritual house? And are we truly connected? Or are we sitting out here? And can I just say, sorry, i got to get some things off my chest today. And I've heard this for 30 years in in ministry. When when people say, "Uh, I'm leaving this local church or that local church because I don't feel connected. Can I tell you how many times I've heard that? And usually, I won't say 100% of the time, usually I'm hearing that from people who the whole time they were at that local church, they were spectators. Well, no wonder you don't feel connected. Because we have to tell Christians, and we all have to be reminded, we have some skin in this game. We have some responsibility to get connected. How can we sit back and never get to be an active participant in a local church and somehow be critical of the fact that we don't feel connected. We've got to do our part too. Yes, the church is responsible and the leadership of the church and pastors are responsible to make sure that we're creating an environment where people want to come and get involved, but it takes you all to step up and finally say, I'll do it because we can't force you. I'm not going to make you get involved. I can't do that. All I can do is share God's word and let the Spirit of God take the word of God and hopefully touch people's hearts. And then finally, he says this in verse 6. For it says in Scripture, Look, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and priceless cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. I got to tell you, too, this, this passage is like, for me, a time warp of my life in ministry. When I was a ch- well, even before that, when I was a child, I grew up in the Church of the Brethren back in Maryland, where I'm from. And the name of my home church when I was growing up as a kid and teenager and all that, was Livingstone Church of the Brethren. So I get the whole Livingstone thing. Then later on, when my family we moved and we became part of this new church. Now, Lisa and I's home church back in Maryland. That church was called Cornerstone Baptist Church. Then I come out here to the valley. And I'm the teaching pastor at another cornerstone for well, i think, I got to get rid of living stone and cornerstone. we got to call this something else. No. No. No, really, these terms are, are, are really cool when you think about them. And when Peter says Jesus is our cornerstone, here's what else he's saying. See, the cornerstone in a building existed to sort of align everything and tie it all together. That's what a cornerstone does. In other words, every other stone in the building gets its alignment from the cornerstone. The cornerstone ties it all together and brings it together as a whole. So what Peter is saying is, look, if you make Jesus Christ your cornerstone in this spiritual house, not only will you allow Him as your living stone... And you a living stone as well to set you in place into his spiritual house and truly become a part of that spiritual house. But you will also allow Jesus Christ to put you in the place and role that he wants, not the one that you want. Because we're not to come into this spiritual house without aligning ourselves with the cornerstone. That's why we need to let Jesus be the head of the church and build the church. Because Jesus, no human being, knows exactly what each local body needs and what the needs are. We, I mean, I'm the pastor. I'm not that wise. I'm, no human being could ever figure that out. That's why we have to depend and look to God to build his church. That's why the Bible says ultimately we need to let God build his church. Because what Jesus will do, and this is really cool, I think, as a pastor, because it takes the pressure off of me having to try to do it, is Jesus would look down at the oasis and go, okay, they need, they need this right now to continue in their growth and whatever. And so I'm going to call this family or this single or, or this group of individuals, and I'm going to call them to be a part of that church because they've they've sort of finished what I've called them to do over here, and now this church could really use that, and they could use the fellowship of this church, and it's going to be good for both. So I'm going to call them over here, and I'm going to I'm going to call them to this specific role and responsibility and ministry within that local church, and it's going to bless everybody. That's how God works. That's why I tell people, listen, we want to be open to anybody and everybody who wants to come to the Oasis. But from a biblical perspective, we really only desire those that truly feel called of God to be a part of this fellowship. And let me say this, this passage also teaches something that modern day Christians need to hear. And that is that if I truly am a living stone that gets placed by Jesus Christ in a particular local church, I better not take it lightly that I pull myself as a living stone out of that spiritual building unless I really know for sure God is pulling me out. Because think of how tragic it would be if we just went around to all these physical buildings and just said, you know, I don't like that stone. I think I'm just going to pull that one out. What happens to the building? The, the building suffers. The building loses stability when we just start randomly pulling stones out of buildings. And Christians today take so lightly being part of a spiritual house, a local church, that they see nothing wrong with, eh, I'll be part of this fellowship for a while, and then I'll go here for a while and whatever. And it's like, well... If you're a living stone called by Jesus to that fellowship, are you sure that this isn't your idea that you're leaving and you're leaving a hole then in that spiritual house? And if God's directing it all, then God takes care of it all. But all I'm saying is just make sure it's God leading you out of any church that you're a part of rather than it's your idea or someone else's idea. Because you've got to understand your value. And one of the things that Peter's reminding every Christian of is, you're a living stone. We're all living stones. No believer is less important than any other because there's a role and purpose for each of us and we need to be the living stones in the spiritual house that God wants us to be a part of. Are we allowing God to choose that part for us? Are we truly aligning ourselves with the cornerstone? Because if that be the case, perfect case scenario, when a local church would totally surrender itself to Jesus Christ, then every living stone in that church would absolutely complement each other in a beautiful way. Because see, what Jesus is trying to do with all these local churches that are his, is sort of, in a, in, a, in a way, if you hear what I'm saying from my heart, he's trying to produce a symphony for the world to hear. That's why many times in the Bible it talks about us coming together and, and harmonizing with each other and cooperating with each other. And and so that Jesus Christ can bring all this diversity together, and yet through all this diversity, there can be this unity of music that just sets the world on fire and just totally transforms people when they come in contact with that piece of music that Jesus is creating. And that's why it's so vital to be part of a godly fellowship. A fellowship where we are growing to be more and more relationally safe. A fellowship where we are growing in our appetite to the word of God. A fellowship where more and more people are allowing Jesus Christ to put them into that house and become an active participant. And where there's a growing number of people who are aligning themselves with the cornerstone, finding Jesus' place for them in that house. Not what they want, but what he wants. These are the marks of a godly fellowship. And let me end with this. Notice at the end of verse 6 that Peter says, if you believe in Him, if you entrust yourself with complete confidence to your cornerstone, to your living stone, to your Savior and Lord, and you trust Him to do this, to find you a spiritual house, To place you into a spiritual house. And to call you to be what he knows is best, not just for you, but for that spiritual house. Notice Peter says, you will never be put to shame. The word means disappointed or disillusioned. Paul says, if Christians would just learn to trust Jesus, they'll never be disappointed. And what God has for them in being part of a spiritual house, a godly fellowship. Again, I just thank you all for being who you are. You all are a great group of people and I love what God's doing here. But here's the thing. I'm just dumb enough to believe that there are other people in this community out there like you. Who are looking for a church like this. Who want more of God's word. Who want to be part of a church where they really feel like they can get connected and actively participate. Where they're valued. Where at least people are being taught, let's be relationally safe with each other. And let's strive to be that towards each other. And where we let Jesus Christ be the one to place us in the body as He sees fit. I'm just dumb enough to believe that there's other people out there in the Chandler, Gilbert, Phoenix area like you. And that's why I'm praying this year that somehow God will use us to get the word out about this place in some way. More than what we have already. Because The Christians that I'm running into, even out there, and I run into them all the time because I'm at coffee shops and stuff like that. Can I just say it's sad when they start talking about their local church? They're like, Yeah, I go, but I don't really get anything out of it. And there's no enthusiasm or excitement about being part of their local church. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, oh my golly. I'm like, are you kidding? I honestly don't know what I would do if I wasn't part of a church that I was excited to be a part of. That I looked forward to getting together with my brothers and sisters in Christ and see what God has next for us. I don't know what I would do. So I want you to know how thankful I am for these last almost four years, you realize in a couple of months we're coming up on our fourth year anniversary. It's like, yikes. I'm so thankful. But, guys, we just need to keep doing what we're doing and keep becoming the spiritual house that Jesus Christ wants us to be. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you never called us to do this by ourselves. Spiritual growth doesn't take place in a vacuum and discovering who we are in Christ and serving you and ministering for you and living for you doesn't take place in a vacuum either. It all takes place in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for these folks, these living stones. These people who possess your life and strength and power and energy and vitality within them. And that when they come here, God, and begin to connect and participate and let you use them, God, we all benefit. God, I just pray that we will continue down that road. That we will always treat each other with respect and love. That we will always have at this church a growing appetite for the word of God. That we will always have a growing number of people who come to this church who want you to place them truly in this building or some local church as a living stone. And that, God, we will let you place us where you want. Because you're the cornerstone. We need to find our alignment and our place in the building from you. We need to first align ourselves with you, and then we realize we'll be aligned properly with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And God, remind us today that one of the reasons why you put such emphasis on our horizontal relationships with each other is because you teach us very clearly that our horizontal relationships with each other affects positively or negatively our vertical relationship with you and so god i pray today that not only would we love you with all our heart soul mind and strength but that we would love our neighbor as ourself we pray in jesus name amen In Christ alone My hope is found He is my light, my strength, my song This cornerstone, this solid ground